This is the Saturate Podcast. Saturate is committed to seeing a gospel movement happen in North America and beyond, in which every man, woman, and child have a daily encounter with Jesus in word and deed. This podcast is an ongoing conversation with disciples and leaders growing up in the gospel and growing and living the implications of the gospel in community and on mission in the places that God has put us. Today we have a special bonus episode. A few weeks ago, Justin Anderson and Jeff Vanderstelt sat down to do a live Facebook interview about Jeff's new book, Gospel Fluency, and we wanted to provide a section of that interview for our listeners as a way to further connect into the the implications of the gospel. And we just found that this was a really great interview, and we wanted to share it with you guys. This recording was done live, so audio quality might not be as great as you expect, but we still feel like it was so valuable, we wanted to share it with you. My name is Justin Anderson. I'm here with Jeff Vanderstelt to celebrate the launch of his new book, Gospel Fluency. Uh, comes out today and is available uh, everywhere you buy books. So uh, we're going to take the next hour or so to talk about uh, the concept of gospel fluency, what that means, uh, what it can mean for you and transform your life, discipleship and church. Uh, I have known Jeff for a little over 10 years now. We planted churches uh, at similar times and he has been a mentor mentor and a teacher to me. And now I have the privilege of working alongside him at Doxa Church in uh, Bellevue, Washington, just outside of Seattle. And uh, it's been a pleasure. So Jeff, tell us what is gospel fluency? Why does it matter? And why did you write a book about it? All right. Well, the fundamental concept of gospel fluency uh, lines up with the idea of fluency in any language. Uh, I know when I learned uh, Spanish years ago, uh, I had to learn the vocab, I had to learn the sentence structure, I had to learn how grammar works, learn even culture and what, why certain words mean certain things. But I, I would have to say that I didn't really know how to speak the language until I was immersed in a culture, speaking it enough where it became normative for me. It wasn't this idea where I'm uh, hearing a word, translating it into my language, my mother tongue, and then thinking through what I want to say in another language, it got to a place where I, I thought in that language, I interpreted the world, world through that language, I even dreamed in that language. It became like a mother tongue for me, uh, that kind of idea. And so the idea of gospel fluency is that we get to the place where the gospel becomes, as it were, a mother tongue, where I, I think in light of the gospel, I see the world and perceive it in light of the gospel, I learn how to speak the gospel into everyday life, into the normal everyday things that I go through or I face. And it really comes out of this idea where the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.15 says that the way that we grow up into Christ in every way is learning how to speak the truth in love. And then he later translates or interprets that in verse 21, that the truth is in Jesus. So in a way, Paul is saying, if we want to grow up into Christ in everything, we've got to learn how to speak the truth of Christ for everything or to everything. And so gospel fluency is learning how to not only think the gospel, believe the gospel, but speak the gospel into all of life. And there's a lot of ways in which I think we have to grow in that. But uh, basically, first of all, you got to you got to know it. You got to know the gospel. You got to you got to believe the gospel. It's got to affect you so much that it's that's flowing out of your mouth. Jesus says it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. And so there's this idea that uh, if 
if I really believe it and it's really affected me and it's really captured my affections uh, and I really love Jesus and I really believe the gospel works, then it will flow out of my mouth. It will be out of the overflow of the, the heart that the mouth speaks. And what you hear in Jesus' words, not only there, is that uh, not only does it flow out of our hearts into our mouths, but he at one point says, you're not going to get good fruit from a bad tree. You actually got to have a good tree to produce good fruit. And so if I'm going to get the gospel flowing out of my life, if I'm going to get new behaviors flowing out of my life, I've got to have a change in my heart. And so one of the things that I deal with in the book is this idea that for many of us, the very reason why we're not living a life that is like Jesus is because we actually haven't believed the truths of Jesus for every aspect of our life. And and so we're, we're, we have to start with what do I know and what do I believe? People don't actually become fluent in the gospel unless it captures their affections, transforms their heart, leading to a change of behavior. And so really to grow, grow in, the, in the gospel and be fluent in it, you've got to start by saying, what's going on inside of me? I've got to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ, like Paul says. And uh, one of the concepts I, I talk about in the book is that uh, every single behavior is a result of our beliefs. So whatever we believe produces what we do. Jesus says in John 16, 9, that the Father, that he's going to send the Spirit so that he'll convict us of sin in regards to our unbelief. In particular, it says your unbelief in me. And so Jesus is in effect saying all of your sinful behaviors, all of your negative emotions, all of the stuff that works out of your life is a result of what's already inside your heart. And so we actually have to do this work of fruit to root, where we say, what's the fruit in my life? And how do I trace that down to the roots of my faith? And, and then see where unbelief is re- residing in our hearts, because it's always going to be unbelief in Jesus or unawareness about what he's like and what he's done, ignorance to the truths of the gospel that's going to lead to sinful behavior. Mm-hmm. And so what we really need then is not only the gospel uh, in our hearts, but we need to believe the gospel for transformation of our lives. And we got to do the hard work of saying, where in my life does, does God want me to see that the fruit of my life reveals the unbelief of my heart, that I really don't know the gospel or believe the gospel or maybe haven't applied the gospel to that aspect of my life. And so the heart of gospel fluency is very holistic. It's not just, let's learn the right words to say, let's just regurgitate truths we've heard, but rather ask ourselves, do we know it? Do we believe it? Has it affected us? Does it flow out of our hearts? Does it produce new fruit in our lives? And can we get into a gospel community that helps us grow through immersion because really, when you learn a language like I did, you have to be in a context where people know how to speak it well. And so they speak it to you. They help you understand when you're not believing it, when you're not speaking it, when it's not coming out of your, your heart into your lips, through your mouth, to the world. And so in a nutshell, gospel fluency is a very big, big, a very small phrase for a very big idea. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just how does... How do I, how do you, how do people become so immersed in the truth of the gospel that it changes absolutely everything in their life? Yeah, that's fantastic. So one of the ideas that has impacted me over the years is that idea of fruit to root uh, and tracing back kind of from the manifestation or the behavior back to what that heart issue is. So um, I wonder if you could do that for me right now as an example. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I have always struggled with is control. A desire mm-hmm. for control. So if you were counseling me and applying the gospel to that situation, how might you track that fruit back to the root? I'd probably, first of all, ask if you could give me an illustration where that situ- where your struggle with control shows up. Because mm-hmm. it might be some areas you don't really care. Mm-hmm. In other yeah. areas, areas you do care. And so 
I don't know if you want to go there to that place. Sure. Or... Yeah. No, I mean, I think it would be helpful for people yeah. to hear kind of a practical mm -hmm. example. So um, one of the ways that I struggle with control is with my kids and uh, you know not just them being unruly kids but wanting to wanting them to do and be who i want them to be and what i want them to do great so in that case what i might start to do with you is ask you okay so why do you want them to do what you want them to do or why do you want them to be what you want them to be what's the what's the motive underneath that uh that you're you're trying to play to yeah I think in my best moments, I want the best for them. And okay. so when I see, you know, sin or I see uh, unbelief in them or rebellion, I, you know, uh, I want them to follow Jesus. I want them yeah. to love God. And so that rebellion, I think, scares me at mm -hmm. some level. Mm -hmm. um, but I think in my worst moments, I see them as a reflection of me. Okay. And so when they're bad, that reflects poorly on me. All right. So there'd, there'd be potentially a couple different ways we can go after it. Let's go after the worst situation. Yeah. Um, so where I'd go with you is I would I would walk you through four key questions that I normally walk people through, and that is, what are you believing about yourself in that situation? Um, so your your desire to see their behavior be controlled so that it reflects well on you. Yeah. What does that say about in that moment? What you believe about yourself, your own identity? Yeah, yeah, and that my identity is tied into my actions and my ability to parent and have good kids reflects back on then who I am and how valuable. Right. So the first question I, I would ask is, what are you doing? And you'd say, in this case, trying to control. Mm -hmm. Why do I do that? Because of my, my identity. So who, who do you believe? What do you believe about yourself? Yeah. And in that case, my, my identity is in them. Right. So yeah. I want to control them. That's what I do. Why do I do it? It's because I find my identity yep. in their behavior or their performance. Mm -hmm. Now, what does that tell you you believe about what God has done yeah. in your right. life? What, yeah. like, what does that say about his work and what you think of his work? Yeah, it might mean that I uh, think his love for me or his, uh, you know, his willingness to be with me is dependent on my performance, right. and which is manifest in my kids' performance. So he, he loves you more when they perform well because you're better, you're... Right you're more impressive, whatever. Right. So his effect, affection or love for you is completely connected to your behavior, which mm -hmm. now is expressed to your ch kids. Right. Right. So what, what does that tell you then what you believe about God? What is God like in that scenario? Yeah. He's the kind of God who has conditional love. Yeah. Great. Now let, now let's, so that's like fruit to root. We kind of went from the top all the way to the bottom. Now we want to go root to fruit. Mm -hmm. So what do you know to be true about God? What is God actually like? That his love for me is unconditional and it's based on him and his goodness, not on me and my goodness. Right. So that's the first question. Who is God? But how do you know that? You know that through what he's done. Second question. What has right. he done? Yeah. That in spite of my rebellion, he died, sent his son to die for me. Right. So we're going to then walk through. Do you actually believe that? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's one thing to say that, but the... The, the moment of I need to be in control because he'll love me more if my kids perform really well and think well of me is a moment of unbelief. Yeah, functional unbelief of something that I might kind of intellectually believe, but in that moment and functionally disbelieve. That's right. And so uh, I would want to press in on that quite a bit more. So in those moments, what's leading you to either forget that God is unconditional in his love for you, uh, that Jesus maybe wasn't sufficient enough, that his performance wasn't do you, and I might even ask, you know, yeah. do you believe in those moments that what Jesus did for you in his perfect life of obedience or death in your place for your sin, do you believe that really was sufficient enough? And likely you aren't believing that in those moments or you're forgetting it. Right. 
And yeah. so we would probably spend a lot of time. I'd probably slow yeah. down there and go, okay, yeah. let's back up. Where did you learn to find your identity in your behavior? Yeah. Yeah. And I probably need to get you to know your story. And I know your story a bit. But sure. like if I didn't, I'd spend more time on your story yeah. and go, let's, let's go back. Because some things got seeded deep in your life, mm -hmm. either from your own childhood or maybe failures you went through or whatever it may be. And bad so theology or something. bad theology. Yeah. It might just be, I just, I just was steeped in a legalism yeah. or mm -hmm. the church I grew up in always taught God loves you if you do well. And he hates you if you don't. Yeah. And, uh, and the gospel was no part of that right. conversation whatsoever. So we'd probably want to go after that. Yeah. And then, and then the next question is, well, if God does love you because of Christ's performance and substitution, his perfect life in exchange for yours, and I would make sure you, you know, do you believe that? And I know you would say you believe that, but like, yeah, yeah. like um, I would then say, if you do believe that, what does it say about you? Like, who do, who do you believe you are mm -hmm. in light of who God is and what he's done for you? Yeah, I'm his son. I'm chosen by him. I loved deeply by him. And, you know, my identity is heir, right? Mm -hmm. Heir and son. Yeah, yeah. And if that's the case, how would you live? Especially with your kids. Yeah, uh, far more... Uh, contentedly mm -hmm. and uh and peacefully and mm -hmm. uh without that temptation to attach my identity to my kids behavior yeah yeah and i'd probably take some more time to say okay let's walk through what are some ways of remembering the gospel in those moments when you're headed home yeah or you know those tense moments as a parent like even how can your wife Emily have cues for you to go remember your son, your yeah. heir, the father loves you yeah. regardless of how you well your kids behave. Yeah. Do you believe that? No, I'm not. Can you pray for me? Yeah. So the spirit makes those truths really sink in deep. Yeah. And having a community where we can just say, Hey, man, that's probably not just showing up just with your kids. Yeah. It probably shows up when you preach or other places where you're living for a performance kind of identity versus one that's already given to you right. freely in Christ. That's great. So, I just turned this into a free counseling session. That's a win. <laughs> Um, so this feels so foundational and, and in some ways really basic. And I don't mean that in a diminished sense, no, yeah. but, but pretty foundational. How is the American church or why has the American church drifted so far away from this fundamental idea? I, I think I, I'm convinced there's a variety of reasons. I think one is that the evil one knows if he can convince us that the, the gospel is not nearly powerful enough to change life, then we won't preach it. And so I think it's a, a, it's an evil tactic of Satan to convince the church to preach something other than the gospel or to put their confidence in something other than the gospel, to, to preach moralisms like here's the list of what you should do and here's the list of what you shouldn't do or legalism. When you do it, God is more pleased. And when you don't, man, you're out of the family. Yeah. Uh, or, or I think even to preach like principles and steps. And there's, there's definitely place for godly wisdom. Jesus is the wisdom of God. I mean, he is the, the point of it all. And yeah. so I think the reason why is because if you don't actually believe it and speak it, then Jesus doesn't get spoken. And the very good news that we need, I think the evil one wants to keep us from saying. Yeah. I'm convinced when people start to say Jesus, hmm. immediately there's, a, there's that fear, there's, there's condemnation, there's accusation. I think that's the point at which we experience some of the greatest spiritual warfare. Yeah. And so I think that fundamentally is it. Second, I think that for the American church, especially or the North American church, uh, there's a real rank pragmatism. Hmm. But we just want to know what works. Now, the beauty is the gospel does work. It's the power of God for yeah. salvation. But I think because we don't often believe that, we go to other things that we think 
will work. Like, hey, shame really works. Yeah. When I shame people, they don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Guilt really works. Like, fear really works. Those things really do work, but they don't set you free. Right. They just they make you a little while. That's right. Yeah, they're short term. They lead to greater slavery, oftentimes more hiddenness, more brokenness. Mm -hmm. And so I, I'd say in short, I think that's the, the yeah. main reason. Yeah. Well, we've got a bunch of questions okay. that have come in through social media. Do you okay. want to start tackling yeah, some of these? Okay. So one of the questions that came in is this. What can be done about the disconnect between the gospel believed for your afterlife, but not for your everyday life? So how do we address that kind of theology that says the gospel's for heaven yeah. and not for now? Well, I think, first of all, you need to read your whole Bible. I think that the narrative of the scriptures would tell you salvation isn't primarily getting us out of here. Right. It's actually bringing heaven to earth, transforming the place we live in. And we know that it ends with a new heaven and a new earth. So if you, if you know your biblical narrative, you realize it starts in the garden and ends in a garden-like city. Hmm. And if you have that as your narrative, then you realize the gospel can't be to get me out of here. It's got to actually be to transform this place and to transform how we live in it, which then I think has huge implications that if it's primarily not just my ticket out of hell, but the means by which God's going to re restore and renew all things for his glory. Now I start to think, well, then today must matter. Mm. Everyday life must matter. And, and then when you read stuff like the Apostle Paul, when he uses language like we have been saved, but he also uses language like we are being saved in 1 Corinthians 15, then you start to realize it's a present tense reality. Yeah. And we've got to work that out. In my, in my own experience, I need salvation from lots of things right now. Not just yeah. my future. Like, I need to be saved similar to you. Like, how do I handle my, my kids? How do I love my wife? Like, I need to be saved on an ongoing basis. And if the gospel is the power of God for salvation, I want it now. Mm -hmm. And then I need it for my past, my present, and my future. Yeah, good. Uh, this next question sounds like it comes from a pastor because he says, uh, our church focuses on the gospel as a concept we can study and know. What needs to change in my leadership so I can lead to experience the gospel, lead people to experience the gospel as something to be lived, not just studied? So how do we move from head to hands? Mm -hmm. Well, I think one thing I would do is pay attention to the goal of your preaching, because unfortunately, a lot of the goal of most people's preaching is just head. Mm. So if, if your goal isn't to move people's hearts and then to lead them to new lives, then you got to just start asking, what do I hope the outcome of my preaching and leadership will be? Mm -hmm. Is it transformation of the heart? Is it movement towards obedience? And then ask, what are you then leading your church or your people to do? Because if the end game is I just want them to come hear me speak, well, then you're probably going to just be satisfied with just head knowledge type stuff. But if yeah. you're saying, no, I really want them to be able to be mobilized into the world as gospel fluent people who know non-believers, who speak the gospel to other people's lives, then it's going to change the way I do everything. And so for me, whenever I'm preaching, I'm asking or when I'm leading, I'm asking, what do I want the outcome to be? Well, I want them to know the truth, but I want them to believe the truth, which means I want them to repent and believe. And I want it to be worked out in actual behaviors. It's got to start with me. That'd be the thing I'd say is if leaders aren't doing that themselves, if they aren't critically examining their own life and how it's working out, then unfortunately they get up and they preach a message that they don't actually live. So repent publicly, acknowledge your own weakness, speak the gospel to your own heart, share with your church how you actually do that yeah. and how it's transforming the way, the way you live in your home with your family or your neighbors. So let it be worked out of your life first because I'm, I'm convinced my most powerful preaching happened to me first. Yeah. And then it comes out of me to others because I can be an example of someone who's submitting to the very same things I'm learning. Hmm. 
Well, that transitions really well to the next question, which says, how did your own life change when you realized the power of the gospel uh, in your everyday life? Do you have a story or example you could share? So I know yeah. you have a great story. Uh, maybe tell a little bit of your story and how that's changed. Yeah, when I was actually, I'd go back to when I was 33, I was in a significant uh, depression. And that was due to the fact that I was in a ministry position where I was more concerned about what people thought of me and my performance defining me than I was resting in the truth of the gospel, saying you're already loved, you're already accepted, you don't need to gain anymore, you don't need to earn anymore. And by God's grace, I had an older woman who was a just had a shepherding heart that worked at the church that I served at, and she began to just meet with me and encourage me to think through what what the beliefs were behind my my motives or my behaviors. Why why was anxiety and fear? coming, uh, controlling me. It was definitely, she kind of did fruit to root, though she didn't use that language. Yeah. And then I also happened to be uh, seeing a Christian counselor who really knew the gospel well. And at one point he helped me identify that I had made men my God and uh, my, my ministry, my fun functional justification. And as I, as that dawned on me, I mean, it, I was crushed under it in a good way. Like it was the, one of those Oh man, I, I'm a, I'm engaging in idolatry, and it's, and I'm a, I'm a slave as a result. I don't want to be a slave any longer to the fear of man or the performance of my life being the thing that gives me my sense of significance. And I, I had a major breaking point where I feel like I'm I'm convinced the Spirit brought me to the end of myself in a place of repentance in those areas of my life. And uh, when he then and she both spoke the gospel of. Jeff, you are loved regardless of what you do. The Father accepts you because of Jesus. There is no one stronger or more powerful than God in your life, and yet let your, you're, you're letting men be your God. You're letting them be bigger than he is, but they're not. And as they continue to, to remind me of the gospel truths, I just felt myself, my heart just softening. I, I, I responded, I ran to, to Jesus in those moments, and... Um, and I, I, I felt honestly like the biggest weight got lifted off me. And I felt free to just lead the way God called me to, to have convictions, to stand up for them, to not be fearful whether people are going to like me or not. And I would say that year set in the course of my life a freedom that I never knew before then. Hmm. And I think because it so changed me, I set, I, I set forward with a desire to say, how, how did that happen? Yeah. I, that was huge for me. And thankfully people like, Tim Keller and, and Edmund Clowney and others have written some really great stuff that helped me to even grow. And how do I articulate this more myself? Yeah. Yeah. So um, from that moment, so you have this kind of breaking point of desire, you know, mm -hmm. Keller talks about the penny drop, yeah. you know, that kind of aha moment. And I think this question comes out of that desire um, from that place. Uh, how long did it take <laughs> and, and what was the process of then becoming fluent in the gospel to the degree that you could teach it to your preach it to yourself yeah. and then be able to apply it so quickly like you did for me a moment ago yeah. um, what's that process like how can we grow in our knowledge of the gospel well i think i feel i feel like i'm still growing in how to do it um i i i think and i want to go back i think that that penny drop moment if that doesn't happen then i don't think you will because you'll never be convinced that it, it's powerful unless it, you're changed by it. Yeah. And you talk about the things that work. This is how it is. We all talk about the diet that worked or the workout that worked or the, the, the gadget that we love now that works. And you also talk about what you love. 
So I think I'd start with saying, do I even believe it works? Has the penny dropped in a sense? Yeah. Um, and do I really love it? Because yeah. I know when I met my wife, I t couldn't stop talking about her. Yeah. And then we've gone through seasons of our marriage where I didn't talk about her as much. And my love grew, grew cold. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, as a result, uh, our marriage suffered. And then I learned the more that I talked about the wife of my youth and why I loved her so much and when I first met her, the more my love grew for her again. And then I want to talk about her more. Yeah. So I'd say, you know, has it changed you? If it has, remember that. Yeah. Keep rehearsing all that God's already done in your life so you don't become like Israel where you forget yeah. the, the salvation of God in your life. And then as you talk about it, you'll love him more. And then as you love him more, you'll talk about it more. Mm -hmm. And so I'd say that's the basic is pay attention to what works and changes you. Yeah. Talk about it. Ask yourself, you know, I, I invite the Holy Spirit to preach to me. You know, yeah. it's like John, Jesus said in John 16 that he's actually going to witness mm -hmm. to us about Jesus. So be my witness. Keep telling me, Holy Spirit, why? I mean, you love, you love Jesus more than anybody. Yeah. You've known him forever. So like that should change me if I'm listening to the Holy Spirit yeah. changing my heart. So I'd say those are some basic things. Yeah. So maybe talk a little bit about that idea of what works because um, that implies a goal, yeah. a shared goal yeah. that maybe we don't all share. Mm. Uh, when we are looking to the Bible to do something for us, what should we be looking to the gospel to do? Like, how will we know it's working? Yeah, What's I think the there's, a, I think there's a, a few things. I, I think one, we should experience it removing guilt, shame, and fear. So if we're still caught in that, then there's something wrong with what's going on, because that's what it's supposed to do. Uh, also, it's so that I'd say that's all around justification. Like, do we really believe we have been saved? And then it should also lead to a transformed life that looks more and more like Christ every day, because the goal of the gospel is that you get Jesus. I mean, first and foremost, you get him not even a Christ-like life. You get Jesus in your life. I mean, the, the beauty of the gospel is that you are actually transformed to be a holy temple in which God dwells. And if God comes into your life, it's going to change. Yeah. There's no way you can have God, holy, holy, holy God in you and not be transformed. Yeah. So, so I think then it, it not only do you get him, but you get transformed by him. So there should be a Christ-likeness mm -hmm. that's happening in your life. And then lastly, and that, I'd say that's sanctification. Yeah. And then lastly, it leads to glorification, which is not only becoming more like him, but longing for that day when you'll be with him. And so the more that you taste and see that the Lord is good, the more that you want him to come quickly. Yeah. And so there's no desire in your life for heaven and for the, the new earth where we get to be with him forever. That's a problem. Yeah. So, and then Paul says the goal of our instruction is love. Love of God and love of one another. So if I could simplify, I'd say, are you growing in your affections for him? And are you growing in your affections for people? If that's not happening, then, then you probably are lacking in the understanding of the gospel and probably not really experiencing it working itself out in you. Yeah. You know? So maybe there's someone out there who's going, okay, I don't feel those things. Preach to them for a moment. Like, what do they do? Get them saved. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would say, like, do you know that you have sinned against God, that you, as a result, apart, I mean, like Adam and Eve, if you think about Adam and Eve, when they sin, what do they do? They hid. They felt like they had to cover up. They had to run away from God. So they took their own works, in, in this case, fig leaves, and they, they made clothing out of those fig leaves to cover up their shame, to hide, So because they knew they were guilty. And then they began to blame each other. And if you have any of those kinds of patterns in your life of hiding or shame or this deep sense of guilt over your sin or this need to kind of point the finger and blame 
blame someone else, then the reality is you need Jesus to be the one that you could point to and say, I need someone who can take my guilt. Like I need an atonement, which means I need someone to pay for the things I've done. And if you have never come to Jesus and said, Jesus, I, I am guilty. I have sinned and I feel it. I feel the weight of it. I want you to take it from me. You died on the cross for my sins to remove all the guilt. And I, I don't want to be living in shame anymore. I want to come out of hiding and confess I'm a sinner and I have done things that are evil and wrong, but I don't have to be afraid to tell you that because you already know it. You were at, went to the cross for me. You cried out, Jesus, from the cross, Father, forgive him. He doesn't know what he's doing. And so Jesus took your shame on the cross so you could take his righteousness as your clothing to cover up the nakedness and, and shame of your sin. And then what's beautiful is he went to the grave in, in, in his death, but he, he crushed Satan, sin, and death for you and rose again on the third day. So you don't have to live with the fear of, of death that you're going to face God and somehow be afraid that what he did was not enough. You don't have to worry about the fear of Satan as though he's more powerful than Jesus. You don't have to worry about sin in your life being more powerful than Jesus' ability to set you free and help you live a new life. So I would say, if, if you've never come to him and said, Jesus, be for me the one who deals with my guilt, died for my sin, removes my shame, overcomes my fears, and today, I, want to, I just want to invite you, come to him. Maybe you've grown up in church all your life and you say you believe this, but you know you're still living with that weight of guilt, that shame that you want to hide with, and, and that fear of facing God one day. It may be that you've never really understood the power of the gospel to set you free and change your life. And so I just invite you, come to him. In fact, I've seen pastors spend their years in ministry and all of a sudden they hear the gospel and they can't believe they never believed it. They were preaching it, but they never believed it for themselves. And so I'd ask, do you believe you need it? Because so many of us know how to tell other people they need it. Do you know you need it? And if so, come to him today and just say, Jesus, I, I'm, I'm wretched, I'm sinful, I'm, 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 I'm a mess. And I don't want to be defined by my sin anymore. I don't want to be defined by my behaviors anymore. I don't want to be defined by what somebody else has said or done to me anymore. I want to be defined by what you have said and what you have done in Jesus Christ for me. That's great. Facebook just <laughs> got saved. <laughs> I hope so. Brilliant. Um, well, assuming that, and yeah. that, that, that's been received, and there's that, there's that desire, what next? How does someone grow in their knowledge of the gospel uh, in all its aspects so that you know, they've got these kind of data points or ideas? How do they begin to weave those together in a way that becomes fluency? Hmm. Besides reading your book. <laughs> yeah, read the book. That's <laughs> how, how do they start to make sure every aspect of life starts to get affected by the gospel? Yeah, I mean, what are some good practices? Um, just so, you know, if, if we're going to be able to speak the gospel, like when you learn Spanish, mm -hmm. you learn vocabulary, you learn grammar. Yeah. What, what's the equivalent of that for the gospel? What are well, some practices? I think, I think first of all, you get, you, it's important that you learn the basics of the gospel. Jesus' life is perfect righteousness in exchange for my sin. Jesus' death. So Jesus' life, Jesus' death is the one who he, he exchanged himself in my place, took on my sin uh, at the cross, died for it, uh, that he rose again on the third day uh, to overcome Satan's sin and death for me, that he ascended to the right hand of God the Father and that he intercedes on my behalf, prays for me continually, and that he's coming back to finish what he started and to make all things new. So you need to know, just like vocab or like grammar, you need to know those basics yeah. and what, why those are so important for all of life. Uh, and then I think you need to know the bigger narrative, that 
there is a creation, fall, redemption, new creation narrative of the Bible mm -hmm. that God created and he wants our identity to be in him, not in something else. The fall is when we put our, our identity in something else other than what God has said or God has done. And then the redemption is we look to somebody to rescue us from the way in which we've looked elsewhere. Most people are looking somewhere else other than Jesus. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then the, the new creation is what do we put our ultimate hope in? When all things are new and right, what will that look like? So I'd say even asking yourself in your life, what kinds of creation, fall, redemption, new creation stories have I been believing? You know, I, I've been believing that my identity is in my, in my appearance. And my fall is that I just I can't lose the weight or I can't get the right look that I want. Uh, so my redemption is I either get changed the way that I look, or I find a, a, the best diet program I can find out there, and new creation will be my life is fit, my body's fit, and people are living that, and it could apply that to your work. You know, So ask yourself, what is your creation, fall, redemption, new creation storyline that you've been believing? Yeah. And then as you work that out, know that the fruit of the gospel will always be love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. So anywhere where your life is not experiencing that fruit, is evidence of where you're putting your faith in something other than the good news of Jesus and his story of redemption for your life. Hmm. So I'd be paying attention to what fruit do I have? When do I have places where there's none of that fruit? Because yeah. that's probably an area where I'm believing a different storyline or having a, a false gospel I trust in at that moment. So doing some of that work, which is introspective, but I think also requires community. So having people in my life who are going to say, can I tell you the truth? Like, I want to speak yeah. the truth in love. You're showing evidence of unbelief in this area, can we talk about that? So I need a community that's gonna help me and I need them practice it. So I, a lot of times I'll say, we gotta regularly remember, rehearse and recite the gospel. Gotta remember what it says, I gotta rehearse it in my heart and I gotta recite it, say yeah. it out loud. So that's a great transition to our next question, which is what are some helpful tips for sharing our story? And I think there's a movement from being fluent to ourselves, preaching the gospel to ourselves, and then being able to connect that gospel to our story mm -hmm. and to be able to tell that story to somebody else. So how do we get better at doing that? How, what are some ways that we can connect the gospel story to our story? Good. Yeah. I, I would use the same kind of creation, fall, redemption, new creation narrative in my own life and ask, how can I tell the story in such a way where Jesus actually is the hero? Mm -hmm. So many people tell their story in such a way that they're the hero. Or even sometimes their sin is the hero. Like they're like, yeah, man, I used to like, I used to shoot up, get high, you know, sleep around, yeah. man. And then they spend 10 minutes talking about all the sin they can engage in. By the time you're right. done, you're like, man, he was really a mess. And you're impressed yeah. with the sin and not with the yeah. Savior. Yeah. And so ask yourself, how can I tell my story to make Jesus the hero? Because he is the hero. We're not making that up. Yeah. If he saved you, he's the hero of your story. Uh, and then I, when I think through then those four stages, creation, fall, redemption, new creation, I'm going to ask, how can I tell my story to show how, and I'll just do mine real quick. Yeah. I mean, I won't do the whole thing, but, but the bullet points are, uh, there were some p big shaming moments in my life as a kid. Mm. And so a big part of my f creation narrative was the way that you have a good identity is you cover up, mm. you deceive, you pretend like you're really a Christian when you're really not. So I was that, that fake dual dual-minded person, double-minded person. And my false story was, I, I thought it, that, that it was because of what I had done, um, primarily, that makes me who I am in terms of like, okay, I messed up, so now I gotta do better, and if I try harder, then I can cover up my shame with my better behavior, mm -hmm. so I became a performance addict, which was my yeah. redemption. Now I'll perform really, really, really yeah. well. Uh, and, and my ultimate hope was, if I could just live the most impressive life even though I can hide all the rest, then that's my ultimate hope. 
yeah. people will be really impressed with me. And so I had to then say, how, do, how does the story of the gospel change that? My, my identity is not in my behavior. It's in who God says I am. Mm-hmm. And my fall, yes, I look to the wrong things. I, the shame I'm experiencing is probably connected to my sin, but I don't have to look to myself to cover it up. My redemption story is I can look to Jesus who really did die to set me free, not only from the way I go to the wrong places, but to remove the shame of my sin by going to the cross. And as, as I came to that realization that I didn't have to hide anymore, yeah. that I could just confess openly, here's where I've messed up, and I knew the gospel was sufficient for me, now my hope is not in trying to work harder to be impressive, but rather in Jesus who ultimately will finish his work that he started in me, that one day I'll stand before God the Father, and the finished work will not have been Jeff's work, it'll be Jesus' work, which is way better than mine. Today's podcast was edited by Ben Fort, and our theme music is written and performed by the band Mopac. This podcast is produced by Saturate. Saturate's hope is to see one missional community for every 1,000 people in every city as we see the glory of God fill every person, every place, and every church. We participate in this vision by creating resources, providing training, doing coaching, and consulting with churches in many more ways. Find out more at saturatetheworld.com.